Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some stories for older readers. You can find out more about all of those, not to mention thousands of interviews with literary agents, authors, editors, book people, the world's best people at middlegradeninja.com. You can check the back catalog for interviews with both Molly O'Neill and Holly Root to Root Literary. And today, which is October 27th of 2022, uh, today I have the wonderful for good fortune to be talking with Melanie Figueroa. Uh, Melanie, welcome to the program. Hi, <laughs> happy to be here. I was just, uh, we were talking before the show, this is going to be the new thing where I will tell you the date of the recording, uh, because these episodes come out, whenever they come out, uh, I'm happy that you get to listen to them when you do esteemed audience, but I want to let you know uh, where we were in time. So if something big in publishing happens on October 28th of 2022, we don't know about it. Uh, so that's why we're not going to be commenting on it. Uh, so esteemed audience knows, Melanie, that I never torture my guests by making them sit through me summarizing their book or their background. Uh, when you're right here and could do a better job of it than I could. So if you would give esteemed audience an overview of your background and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think like everybody who, well, most people that work in publishing, I assume started out with a love of books and it was kind of that pure hearted. Um, and I, you know, intentionally chose like subject matter in undergrad and grad school that would kind of get me here and teach me the skills that I needed. Um, I ended up going to grad school at Portland State University. They have a really cool creative writing and book publishing program there where like the students actually get to work on books that are like in stores. <laughs> um, so it's a whole like nonprofit student-run press that's part of that graduate program and you get to learn about every facet of publishing and, and every department um, and, and really do the job and that's how you learn. Um, and then after grad school, I moved back home to Southern California. Um, was trying to avoid having to go to New York, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I got a job working as like an editorial project manager for a non uh, nonfiction publisher here in Southern California. And I worked there for I want to say like around a year before I realized like love books, love publishing, do not love being an editor. <laughs> like it's not like I, I, I do love editing developmentally, um, but I was doing a lot more like production related editing at that job. Um, so yeah, I, I, when I left there, I was kind of freelancing for a while, just trying to figure out what my next step was. I had always wanted to be an agent, but it's hard to get your foot in the door, especially being here in Southern California. There's only so many agencies in SoCal. Um, so I got lucky to be honest, cause like I was so on the cusp of like moving to New York. I had a friend who I met in grad, grad school who was an editor at St. Martin's Press. I was like, can I just sleep on your couch <laughs> until I like find a job <laughs> like, and like, but I need to like be in New York, right. To like, to make it work and to, to find that position. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, a couple months before I was kind of ready to, to take that leap, um, Root Literary happened to post their first job posting for like a full-time agency assistant. They, they hadn't had a full-time employee that like wasn't an agent prior to that. They were only almost a year old, I want to say. So they were still pretty new. Um, and I lived 
you know, an hour train ride away. And so I was like, let's do this. And, you know, my friend forwarded me the job posting and that's how I ended up getting the job at Root Literary. And I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't have to go to New York. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's, that, that's the short version, obviously, <laughs> but yeah. Well, what a tremendous uh, opportunity. Cause even, you know, even, even though it's a brand new agency for one year, when you join them, you've got Holly Root and Molly O'Neill, uh, check the back catalog esteemed audience. You can enjoy my conversation with Holly Root. That's episode number 18. And my conversation with Molly O'Neill is episode 25, shameless plugs, but they're both <laughs> fantastic conversations. I wouldn't want you to miss them. Uh, but both of them have a combined, um, uh, how many years experience, a lot of years of, of experience by the time they started the agency, right? I want to say like, it's got to be probably 30 years combined between the two of them because yeah, you know, Molly O'Neill was the editor who she worked at HarperCollins. She acquired Divergent when she was there um, a little, you know, maybe you've heard of it, um, <laughs> just, um, you know, and, and that whole time um, her and Holly were actually friends, but they were working on, you know, opposite sides of the desk and Holly was agenting during that time. So yeah, I think it was about 12, maybe 15 years um, of agenting for Holly before she founded Root Literary. Um, and prior to that, they had both kind of worked for a little bit at Waxman, um, legal agency. Um, yeah, so it was a really good moment in time to be like, it's been really fun, like helping Holly, you know, create the infrastructure that our agency operates on. We've hired several new people since I started, partly because I'm an agent now and I can't be everything to the agency anymore. Um, so yeah, it's been like really gratifying, like being a part of that. Yeah, it was fun when I went back and I checked the original emails uh, to set those podcast interviews up. I was talking to you, uh, a notable assistant who, who was uh, helping the, get, the, get those up and running. And now you've got several clients, including uh, previous guests, Lakita Wilson, uh, episode 173, esteemed audience. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't miss it. Uh, but you go in there and I, I I know that not everybody feels about, not everybody's a book nerd like I am, not everybody feels about publishing the way I do, but I would think that literary posts and opening, there have to be like 20, 30 people that immediately want to come in and get that job, right? Yeah. So I honestly, I don't know. I've never asked how many people applied to that very first posting. I might be scared to know the answer, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say like, I've, I've had a pretty big hand in the hiring process for every subsequent hire. Um, just because in, in prior, like non-publishing jobs, I was always like, I was like a manager at the movie theater when I was in college. Like I I've always like loved like running a business and like working with people. And so it's just a skill set that I have and that I've, you know, been helping out with here. Um, and I know that for the last assistant uh, posting we had, I want to say there was over a thousand applicants and it, it was, it was a lot <laughs> and they, they were coming in very quickly. Um, and I don't know if that's how it is for every agency. I can't speak to that, but I wouldn't be surprised if part of it is just, you know, it's rare for an agency job to open up at the assistant level, like an entry level position in on the west coast no less it's it's just very rare and so i feel like when they open up you know a lot of people are just throwing their hat in the ring so like if a position opens up in new york people just yawn it's, it's fine <laughs> <laughs> no 
No, it's, I'm sure those are, those gotta be really competitive. Um, but yeah, it's just a little different because so many people are waiting for that opportunity that isn't New York based, whether it's remote working or a West coast position. And if you don't really see yourself wanting to live in New York and that's not your vibe, then your options are much more limited. So I, I, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, <clears throat> forever banging the drum that we've got to get publishing decentralized. I want to see more. I want to see publishers across America. Um, do we now post well, post mid pandemic, wherever the heck we are with this thing? <laughs> um, do you feel like there are more opportunities for people to work remotely? Yeah, no, there definitely are. Um, you know, I mentioned one of my close friends is an editor at St. Martin's Press and Wednesday Books, and so just talking to her, like, we, I feel like we talk like at least once a week on the phone and she's been kind of updating me about their remote work policy. Um, and they're still sticking with like the hybrid kind of like, you can work a couple of days in the office, work a couple of days from home. And that seems to be by and large, pretty true. Um, so I do think that the, like, the barrier to entry is a little bit lower than it was when I was looking for a job at an agency where like, good luck. Like when I was applying, like it, you, that would have never really been the case unless you were far more senior and maybe had like a lot of things under your belt that you could kind of point to and be like, let's see, like, I don't, I don't need someone to babysit me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like I can do this from home, you know? Um, but yeah, now I've, I've seen a lot of agencies in particular, which were always kind of like, you know, you can run an agency and not even have an office if you didn't, if you didn't need it or want it. So I feel like it was a little bit, you know, you might've seen that more with agencies, but certainly not with publishers. Um, so yeah, I do feel like there are more opportunities and I, and I hope it stays that way. Um, once we're through whatever it is that's going, that's going on, <laughs> but yeah, who, who can say? Yeah. So I'm always trying to <clears throat> give a little bit of a, a leg up to anybody who wants to uh, to follow in your footsteps and get into publishing. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think out of the presumably thousands of applicants that um, Holly and Molly were sorting through and uh, with the applicants that you've helped sort through when you uh, participated in the hiring, what, what made you stand out? What makes other candidates stand out as a good fit? Yeah, for me, part of it was, um, I think the really obvious, like, no's, unfortunately, are going to be people who, it sounds really obvious, but like, who just don't read anything that we work on. And, and I think, you know, that might sound really obvious, but you'd be surprised because I think, and I understand because there's only, you know, again, it's, it's a little bit like the frequency of those jobs opening up sometimes is it's very far and few between. And so when you see one, you're just like, yes, like I, I'm just going to apply. And it doesn't, sometimes you're not thinking, do I even read the books that this agency represents? Like, would I even enjoy like assisting those agents and working on those clients manuscript when I don't read military thrillers or, you know, like whatever it is. Um, and so sometimes you get that where like, they might be perfect for the position if we worked on different kinds of books. And so, you know, an assistant applying for, you know, an entry-level agency job or like a direct assistant to one of the agency, they don't, they don't have to have read like everything that Molly's ever worked on or everything that Taylor's ever worked on, but having like somewhat of an under market awareness of like, 
yeah, here are some like recent fantasy books that I've read and I know are performing well, like here's, you know, what's working in YA, um, just having that larger market awareness is really important. Um, but as far as like other things that stand out, you know, it's funny. Cause I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, do I have to have prior agency experience or publishing experience? And the answer is no, you don't. Um, I think it's more important just that spin that you put on the skills you already had. Like I said, like I came from like a man, like I worked in a movie theater. I was a manager, like, and I just kind of spun that with like, I've always wanted to be around stories. Like that's part of why I liked working at the movie theater. I like working with people. Um, I had lots of like office jobs. Like when I was in grad school, I worked as a um, like secretary, like weekend secretary to this real estate office. That was like a 10 minute walk from my, my apartment. Um, and I think all of these things, I worked at the Apple store, <laughs> like I worked in downtown Portland at the Apple store in grad school, like a few years before getting this job. And I think it's more about how you spin that experience and like having the confidence to be like, yeah, those weren't publishing jobs, but here's what they taught me. They taught me how to be organized. They taught me how to talk to people. They, you know, taught me you know, um, how to pitch, you know, whatever it is, how to, how to manage humans, because so much of like being an agent is like knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to work well with people and collaborate. Um, so I think it's all just about like the spin that you put on your experience and having the confidence to really just lean into it rather than like being like, oh, I know I haven't had like, you know, like a publishing job yet. And like, and feeling like you're not like you're not enough um, because that's not true. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that answers your question, but, <laughs> but I feel like I'm just like, so often, like the people we hire, I work really closely with, um, you know, so far we haven't had a hire, but, you know, leave they're, they're welcome to, <laughs> they're not like chained to their desk. <laughs> um, but everyone seems pretty happy and it's like people that I work really closely with. And so we just want to make sure that it's like a personality match and that, you know, you're someone that we feel like we could, you know, work alongside every day. So for us, I feel like the human component is really important. Um, all the other skills you can learn on the job. And I'm sure for folks who do go back to like Holly's episode, like, I feel like I remember her saying that it's an apprenticeship model, like becoming an agent, like you, you learn how to be an agent by, by doing the job and working closely with another, like someone who's already doing the job, like Holly or, you know, so, so, um, yeah, I guess just have the confidence and, and, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I uh, just in, in general, people who apply for jobs and come in and present everything is, I know I'm terrible at all the things that you would want me to be in this position for, but I promise I'll get good. That's not a good look. Don't do that. Always come in strong. Whatever you've got, make it <laughs> make it as presentable as you possibly can. That's just a good strategy for life. Yeah. I'm sure exactly. it hurt that they're looking at your uh, at your work experience and saying, okay, well, at, well, at grad school, you're also at uh, you're also working all weekend. You're also managing a movie theater. You're a hustler, and that's going to be important for this particular job, right? Yes, this is true. I um, I've always been like, I don't know, like above and beyond. Like I've always been like ambitious to a fault. Um, 
like when I went to grad school, I, I had never even stepped foot into the state of Oregon and I was, I was broke. I didn't have the money to like pay for a flight to go like, you know, to like go, um, explore the city. And people were like, you're just going to go to grad school in a city that you've never been to. And I was like, yeah, I am <laughs> because like, this is, this is how I'm going to get to where I want to be. Um, and it really doesn't matter how much I love the city of Portland. Like that's, that's how I'm going to get to where I need to go. Um, and yeah, when I worked at the movie theater, I was always like, you know, like they were like, do you want to be supervisor? Do you want to be manager? You do really good. And I'm like, does it pay more money? Cool. Um, do I, can I work the same amount of hours I'm currently working, but get paid more money and do what I'm already doing? Um, okay, cool. Let's do that then. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I guess you could say a hustler. Yeah. I've always had lots of, and then, you know, I did the freelance thing for a while and was able to make like a full-time income off of it. I just, I think for that, it's just, it's just a different business model. And I just kind of got sick of like that particular kind of hustle. <laughs> When I worked uh, at a movie theater, one of the big perks was that they would let me take all the leftover popcorn home. So I had uh, three or four roommates, uh, depending on when uh, during my tenure working for a theater in college. Uh, And I would bring home the the bags of popcorn and they would get eaten. (laughs) All the roommates would would help themselves. I think a couple of them might have been dependent. If I didn't bring home the popcorn, they (laughs) they weren't eating. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a good perk. I honestly like... That's why I was like, it's all about the spin. Cause like when I, when I would speak about that, I would, I, one of the perks was free movies, right? Like I, you just get, I, I would go to like, I was, you know, you're broke in college. Like I would just, I would use that free movies <laughs> all of the time <laughs> and like take my friends. And so I just had such, you know, and I know that's film, not books, of course, but stories are stories. And so I think, yeah, that was a really good perk too. Just getting to like watch all these movies for free. Well, it sounds like uh, if somebody gets an interview and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to interview with Root Literary uh, next Friday. Between now and Friday, what you should be doing is reading books and uh, that, 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 that they've represented that are similar to what you're going to be working on. Have that ready to go when you get in. But mm-hmm. I think that if you come in and you say, I love stories, I don't know why it would be an advantage for people to say, well, I love books and only books and I'm completely unaware of this other part of my culture that makes up such a uh, huge part of what's going to be um, influencing authors, publishers and everybody else, right? No, it's so true. Like um, stories are stories and so much of like the the beats to a novel do mirror, you know, often the beats of a film. I mean, so many people use that like save the cat beat sheet, which was originally for screenplays, of course. So like it does translate to novels fairly well. Um, but yeah, no, I think stories are stories. And honestly, like specifically, like, you know, I can't speak to like the publisher side of things, but for agents, so much of our job is just selling things. So like, if you can be like, you know, here's this elevator pitch for this movie that I've watched. It's like, okay, well that's, that's a log line. Like you, that's what we're going to be doing at the agency. We're going to be pitching books. And it's when you get on the phone and you're like talking to an editor, like being able to distill like the essence of a story into a log line, into an elevator pitch is a great skill. Um, and what else was I going to say? Um, Oh yeah. And then like, you know, being on the agency side, so much of it is just exploiting rights. And so we do have like film and TV rights associated with books. And if you, you know, know a lot about the film and TV side of things, being able to be like that, like that book will translate really well to the screen and, 
has that kind of cinematic scope, that may be like a secret power of like knowing, you know, what's effective in, in adapting to the screen. So. Oh, something I um, find to be true. And um, what I will talk to my students when I teach writing workshops about, I'll, I'll tell them that we're going to use some film examples, not because watching movies is a, an appropriate substitute for reading your writers for the love of God, get out there and read. But you can watch a lot more movies than you can read books when the same amount of time. It's just it's a bigger investment of, of time to, to read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so worth it. Uh, but um, that translates to, well, more people will be familiar with the story and, and the characters within the story we're going to be discussing if we go with a movie that you're more likely to have seen. And I assume that's true when you're pitching and you're trying to find uh, comparable titles. If one of those could be a movie or a TV show, that's a greater shot of, of, of roping in more people, getting more people on board uh, when you're trying to, to sell, not just the editor you're pitching to, but whoever they've got to go and pitch to, right? Yeah, no, I, you know, I've actually had people ask me that before, like, can I use a film or a TV show as a comp? Um, And hey, like every agent will always have like strong opinions about things like one way or the other, like someone will be like, no, that's unacceptable. (laughs) But, but um, for my part, like, yeah, I've seen that done many times. And I think if all of your comps are films and TV shows, probably not a great idea, because, you know, then it, then it doesn't necessarily demonstrate your market awareness on the book side, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, sometimes there's just like a movie that, you know, so many people have seen, or if they haven't seen, they've likely heard about it. And it's just the perfect like match. And it might make more sense to go with that. Um, of course you always sometimes get in a tricky position if it's like, you know, something well-known, but only to like a, I don't know, like I love Fleabag for instance, um, on that Netflix, I think it's Netflix, um, with, um, it's set in the UK and like, I would love to use that as a comp, but I could see some people being like, what now? Like I've never watched that. And so, (laughs) and so you're always like risking that you're getting too niche and like going with a comp that's well-known in certain circles, <laughs> but maybe not as well-known outside of those circles. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, if there's enough overlap between the TV show and the, the particular niche market that you're hoping to get uh, the book uh, marketed to, that, that could be helpful, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and honestly, like, the editors are always going to go research and do their own, like do their own comp research anyways. And the comps that they bring to like an acquisitions meeting or like an editorial meeting may not even be the ones that your agent put in the pitch anyways, because, you know, they might be like, oh, well, you know, you didn't think to put this in your pitch, but, but in like in-house we have this book that came out, you know, a couple years ago, that's actually a great comp. And because it's their book and they, they, they know what the sales were, you know, their team's aware of it. Maybe that's the comp that they go with instead to, for like proof of concept. Right. And like this, this can work because it has worked and we know how to make it work. So I think comps are important, but I also think like sometimes like they're extremely important for editors and like putting their like budget together and all of that. But from the author agent side, sometimes I'm like, we can get a little too in the weeds. Like we don't even know if we'll go with that comp, you know? So, uh, Something I had read uh, about you is that when you were working uh, as a freelance editor with a, with a local publishing professional who was mentoring you, 
Uh, she abruptly told you, Melanie, I think you're an editor, but you're, you think you're an editor, but you're not. You're an agent. And I was so curious. What do you think um, prompted her to say that? What makes you a, a, an agent and not an editor? Uh, I feel like I've said this many times because people are always like, how did you know? And like, that was just such a like informative moment in my life, to be honest, as far as like my professional life, that it, it stuck with me. Um, so the woman who told me that her name is actually Mary Bisbee Beak and she's, she's older and she's been working in the industry for some time. She's, she does like freelance publicity for more literary fiction. Um, and she was based out of Portland when I was there for grad school. And she was someone who would often stop by like meetings and, um, you know, different classes and just this kind of like, she wasn't actually part of the faculty at that time, but she was always around and there for advice and kind of mentorship. And I, my second year in graduate school, a lot of the um, second year students apply for different positions at the press or, you know, for the program, like publisher's assistants, like running, um, you know, the design department. Um, and one of those positions was managing a conference. So every year they they would do this. Um, I think they still do it. It's called the right to publish conference. And it's 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 really all about like demystifying the publish the whole publishing process and industry for you know folks that are in that Portland area. Um, and they they ran it every year and it was a fundraiser for our graduate program too. Um, and so I was putting on that and I was just kind of like we just started to get close and we just started to go out to like coffee meetings like once a week. And she was just like, she almost became like a friend. Um, and she was just a really good mentor. And at one of those coffee meetings, I honestly cannot remember what I said. Like, I don't even think there was a natural like segue into her blurting that out. <laughs> she just like, she was very like no nonsense, very blunt. Um, in a way that I love, but you know, I feel like a lot of my other students were scared of her. <laughs> like a lot of the students that I went to graduate school were like, how do you like, how are you just friends with her? She scares me. <laughs> um, but I loved, I love Mary and I still to, you know, to this day, I love her. And yeah, she just kind of like, again, I don't remember what I said, but she just kind of like cut me off and was like, you know, I've been thinking about this and like, I wanted to say it. And, and then she blurted out. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think you're an editor. I think a lot of the people in this program think they're editors, which I think is true for the majority of book publishing programs. I think a lot of people go into them thinking I'm going to be an editor or, and maybe that's one of, you know, I think that's one of the roles in publishing that a lot of people know of, even if they know nothing else about publishing, like someone edits books. Like we don't think about all the other jobs that exist in this industry that have nothing to do with editorial. Um, and yeah, so she just, and then she just was like, I think you're an agent. And as far as like why she said that, I can only think like I, I was managing the conference. I was very like, interacting with people. I was the, the year before I took over that conference, we lost money. It's supposed to be a fundraiser. <laughs> we, we lost money. We didn't make a cent. And I went into it very like, like not even like, I wasn't even wearing like my publishing hat. I was like, it didn't involve like the kind of creativity that comes with like an editorial position. I really just went into it. Like 
we're going to make money. We're going to make this work. And so I like, was like, you know, I put together like a business plan. I was like, how do we like, how do we make real money doing this? Like we, we went in with a plan of attack. Like we're going to get sponsors. We're going to get donations. Like we're like, what, what, what does the price point of the tickets need to be in order for it to be like, you know, valuable and something that people actually buy, but then also something that we can actually make money off of too. Right. Like this is supposed to be a fundraiser. Um, so I really went into it with this kind of like entrepreneurial mindset that I think maybe she perceived as like, not everyone in our program was like that. They were more, more there for the books, you know, more there for like the very pure, like, I love books and I just want to be around them. Um, where I was like, yeah, yeah, books are great, but like, let's make money. <laughs> you know, so like, so I think that's why is just being like a people person, being able to like put, like, I, I wouldn't call myself an extrovert, actually. I think I'm more like an extroverted introvert. <laughs> so, um, but maybe just having that, that ability to kind of, um, you know, be more public facing and to have that kind of that business sensibility. Um, and I love the creative parts of my job. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I love the blend of different, like parts of your brain <laughs> that you use when you're an agent. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's why I, who, who can say, I don't know. <laughs> I should ask her actually, why'd you say that? Um, but I think she was right. Like here I am. And <laughs> And well, um, literally heard you say books are great, but let's make money. She's all agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, that's the clip for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, there be, uh, any any potential authors who would like to query you just got very excited. Like, yes, that is the attitude. Go sell my books. <laughs> like I'm able. Don't get like. There's a very like pure part of my soul don't get me wrong but yes no I think there is the like that pure part of me but then yeah that more like okay but let's make money <laughs> like let's like we want to make a living doing this um and so I've always liked both and so yeah I guess that, like that would be my best guess as far as like why she brought that up um because she saw that spark in me and that kind of like hunger for something more um and yeah well, I know that uh, when we were talking, you, you got your master's in creative writing while you were there at, at Portland. Were you thinking eventually you might also be writing? Or are you still planning to also do some writing? So that's a great question. And I've been avoiding answering that for years. So thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I... I do think there was a moment in my 20s or probably several moments in my 20s while I was like an undergrad and graduate school where I probably did think, oh, well, maybe, you know, you'll you'll just write books. But I can't say I've always written, but I've always written more like poetry. Like when I was in high school, that's that's what I I wrote poetry all the time. Um, I had a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> I wanted to get them out. Um, I wasn't really like a prose writer. Um, and then being an undergrad in graduate school, you do take a lot of those creative writing courses. I took like short story classes. And so I tried my hand at prose. Um, so I won't lie and say I haven't thought of it or I haven't experimented. I 
I even think for a while in grad school, I had written several, like probably like 20, 30,000 words of like something before being like, this is awful. <laughs> and like throwing it, I would always like hit a wall, which I know is actually pretty common having worked with authors, you know, now as my day job that like you do hit a wall at that like 30, 40 K mark often in a manuscript, even if you're like very good <laughs> at what you do. Um, but yeah, and you know, honestly, like, I think it was just something I needed to get out of my system. And I think when you tell people, I want to work with books, or they just assume you want to be a writer. Like, I remember telling my, my dad and like my mom and like family members, like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is where, this is what I want to be. And them always being like, so you're going to write a book one day. Right. <laughs> and like being like, no, like, this isn't my backup plan. This is my plan. <laughs> like, like I'm not doing this so that I can be like, surprise, here's a book. So yeah, you know, now, um, having worked as an agent for several years, having worked in this industry for several years, having, I, I just, I don't, I don't have any ambitions of being a writer. That was a very long way to answer your question. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I could see myself, I think for, for me, like poetry was always more of like, um, a cathartic thing. I always, like I published a few poems in grad school and college for like college, you know, uh, publications, but it's just not something that I ever see myself like seriously pursuing. It was always something that was more for my own soul and like, like emotions versus like a need to publish, if that makes sense. Um, and after doing a lot of soul searching, like I, I know that about myself. <laughs> um, and honestly, right now I have, I have a lot more, I get a lot more fulfillment, uh, helping authors, with their stories than I ever did writing or trying to write my own. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think it's perfectly valid use of your time to write poems just because it's fun to write poems. Yeah. It's it's nourishing to write poetry. Go for it. Write, write, write a novel that nobody ever reads but you if you so desire. Yeah. It was always more like my process of like processing emotions, like like just observations. Like I, I really love that about poems. Um, and I still really love, I don't represent poets, but I really enjoy poetry. And I often find that like, I see that type of lyricism in some of my author's books. And maybe that's why I'm drawn to them on some level. Um, I have a big appreciation for craft and, and, you know, have studied it of course in, in college, but yeah, I, no ambitions to uh, leave the agenting gig to become an author. <laughs> so. So, so far as you know, I mean, so far as what anybody knows, anytime we start talking about future plans, I just have to remember, what were you thinking in 2019, 2020 was going to look like? Uh-huh. Um, anyway, but do you- It's so true. It's so true, though. Future, <laughs> do, you, do you plan to be agenting? Um, what, uh, what what does a career trajectory look like for you, ideally? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I was just talking to a new client, actually, and I was like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like- um, no, I've, you know, I, I was one of those, um, people that other people probably get really frustrated by. Cause I knew that I like wanted to work in this industry, even when I was in high school, like I say that in a, like a, not in a mean way, in a nice way. Cause I always, I had a lot of friends who like, didn't have any idea what they wanted to do, um, when they, when we were in college together. And I was always like, no, I want to work on books, but I had no idea what that meant. 
Um, like, okay, but like, what's the actual job? Like, are you just working with books? Like, what are you doing every day? <laughs> like, I, I haven't thought that far. Um, but I knew I wanted to work with books. And so no, I'm so grateful to be here. I feel um, so privileged to even be an agent and like, just grateful to, to have like, landed this position. Um, and yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, as far as like the trajectory of agents, though, I mean, Root Literary is very boutique, very small. We're not, um, we're not big on like, like a lot of agencies, for instance, have like junior agents, like associate agents, assistant agents, senior agents, you know, the vice president of the agency. Like there's a lot of like those kind of titles. I feel like, you know, I don't want to say that there is seniority like at the agency, like there are people here that are more experienced. Right. And so there is that type of seniority, but as far as like those type of labels and that type of like structure, it's, it's just not the way that we kind of run things here. Um, so if you were at one of those agencies, I suppose that would be the track, right. It'd be like, I want to be VP of the agency one day. I want to run the children's department of this, this agency, which those do exist at some agencies, just not at ours. <laughs> so, so I think, um, for me, like, you know, being an agent is very much like owning your own business that you operate within the kind of like infrastructure of the larger agency. So, you know, sky is kind of the limit with as far as like where you take that, you know. Well, I'd like to imagine that while everybody has a say at some point when push comes to shove, Holly stands up and says, Hey, whose name is right there on the, uh, on the letterhead. Right. <laughs> yes. But we're such a tiny team that like those, you know, I, I see there's a logic to those type of gigs and like the structure of an agency and like the hierarchy there, but we're such a small team that like, if Taylor walked in one day and was like, I'm the VP, I'd be like, what? like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> like of, of me and the two other assistants that <laughs> like, you know, um, it's just, it's just not our style. Um, and I'm not saying it won't be one day or it won't make sense one, like one day if we, you know, we grow and become a, a bigger agency, I think, you know, we probably will have to implement some of those kind of structures, but, um, yeah, we're just kind of a, a more boutique, more, um, trying to think of the right word. It's just different, yeah. Well, one thing I always want to ask is why of all the uh, different agencies that uh, listeners could be uh, querying, why is Root uh, Literary the, the place for them to be? Yeah, I like to think that our size makes us like nimble, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, and like kind of cuts through some of the, I don't know, the like, the lack of transparency that might exist in, in really big companies that are kind of like a machine, you know, um, and you might get like lost in the machine. Like, you know, for the most part, I do know like all of my colleagues, clients and like what they're, you know, I might not know every single thing that they're up to, but like, I know their names. I know their books. I know what they work on. We often like mail each other copies of our client stuff. Cause we're like, you know, I think I thought of you, I thought you'd like to read this, even if it's not a genre that we like, work in or specialize in as an agent, we're always very much like supportive of our colleagues and, and sharing what we're up to. Um, and I think there's a real like camaraderie here. Like, I feel like we're really collaborative. 
um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we, we always had like a Slack, like a, you know, that, that company Slack, we always had that app. Um, and I worked like one day a week from home, even prior to the pandemic. Um, so we were kind of accustomed to like working in that digital workspace, but now that we're all primarily remote, we're like, you know, very well-versed at it. We have a lot of, um, I feel like we invest a lot in technology and like building out the infrastructure of our agency in very smart ways. So we have like a really intense, like detailed um, editor database where we like one of my more like administrative roles that I kind of have retained here is, is administrating that and maintaining it. And like, uh, very frequently reaching out to editors and finding out what they're looking for and, you know, what their wish list looks like, um, so that we're always like able to target, you know, the editor who truly is the best fit for this um, particular project that we might be submitting. And that CRM also allows us to kind of, um, not in a creepy way, but like spy <laughs> on, on what like our other, what our colleagues are doing. Like we all, we can all see to, you know, to some extent, like emails via that CRM. And so I can be like, oh, it looks like, you know, Molly pitched this editor with this project last year. And like, that might be informative some in some ways, depending on what I'm going out with. Right. And so that like kind of, um, tearing down the barriers a little bit, right. And like making things more transparent and having access to other agents, like sub lists and stuff like that. That's incredibly helpful, especially if you're a newer agent who's, you know, building out your own contacts and your own relationships. Um, and it really gives like every agent here, no matter where they're at in their career, you know, a leg up, I think. Um, and we have like a contract, like today, we actually, um, one of the assistants that I work with a lot, she mentioned, we we filed our 1000th contract today in our contract database. <laughs> so like we have, uh, you know, which is just funny, like a funny um, milestone, but yeah, we have a contract database with, you know, every film and TV publishing foreign translation contract we've pretty much ever done. Um, and so if I'm negotiating a contract, it's really, it's really useful to be able to like dig into that database and be like, well, here's, you know, the best terms that it looks like we've gotten with this publisher. Here's, here's some potential improvements we can make with the deal terms and to be able to see those improvements from day one of the agency to where we're at now. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I just think everyone here is super great at their job and super supportive. And yeah, it's really nice to be able to talk to women who are so great at what they do and to really like have that support system and to be able to strategize with them. And I can only speak to Root Literary because I've, while I've interned for other agencies, I've never worked for another agency. So, you know, I don't know how they handle things there, but um, sometimes I feel like just like, even just from like observing on Twitter or like, you know, uh, paying attention to like industry news, it does feel like for a lot of new agents and therefore their clients, sometimes it's like very sink or swim in this industry. And you don't feel like you have 
you know, that support system, even within your own agency. And you kind of feel like you're on your own and you just have to like make it work, you know, or, or not. Um, and if, if that's the environment that you're working in as an agent, I think your clients probably will eventually pick up on that too, you know? Um, yeah. So that's what I would say. <laughs> I want to make sure I, I understood correctly. So if you're um, looking at doing a deal with a publisher, you can go back and you can literally read Molly's emails, uh, email by email, how she negotiated with the publisher previously? Yes. Wow. So if I send you a query, does that mean that uh, Holly, Molly, Taylor, and everybody at the agency could potentially, if they, they're like, oh my God, my query inbox is 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 completely cleared out. I'm so bored. Let me go read uh, Melanie's queries. Could, could that happen? <laughs> So for the CRM, it's not tracking queries. It's really just tracking, um, especially because earlier this year, at least myself and Samantha Fabian, we both um, were kind of like the guinea pigs at our agency for trying out Query Manager. So um, because I had heard a lot about it, I had talked I talked to some other like agent friends about like how is it working for them. And speaking of inbox management that was kind of one of my struggles prior to switching to query manager was like the, like your, the context switching within your own email inbox, because you might be like, okay, it's all about the clients right now. Like I'm working on, I need to answer like, you know, my client emails or like their, their publishing teams emails. And then suddenly you're getting queries sent to the same inbox. And it's like, it's like a different part of your brain. Like you're not in like the mood or the mode to read queries but you're still seeing them come in. And so it's like a, you know, it's a distraction. Um, and it's like the context switching, which I think a lot of us are probably struggling with in this like remote work working situation. Um, so we don't see the queries in there because um, even for those of us who aren't on Query Manager, uh, we use a shared like Gmail inbox for that. So, and that one is not linked to the CRM. <laughs> So it doesn't, it doesn't pop in. So if, you know, for the agents who do still manage, um, you know, maybe they request a, a full, like your full manuscript from you. Once they've done that, it's typically in their private inbox. Um, and the CRM is really only showing us like contacts that are in that CRM, which are people that we do business with, not, not potential authors. <laughs> so, so can't see those, but in Query Manager, you actually can see, um, like Sam and I, for instance, we actually pass queries back and forth a lot, depending on if it, you know, feels like a better fit for her maybe. Um, and if you, I'm in Query Manager reading queries, um, it will actually show me like it, there's like this repeat kind of window and it shows you if someone has queried you the same project before, or if they've queried another agent at your agency with the same project. So you can see it that way. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So how much of your week is actually spent? I mean, I'm sure it varies from week to week, depending on how, what kind of client work you have, uh, but how much of your week on average are you spending in that query manager, checking out, looking for new business? Yeah, it really does depend week to week. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was at, I was in Minneapolis for a conference. Um, so for those like two weeks, I feel like I didn't read like any queries um, or like this week, for instance, I've been, it's kind of like, we're getting to that like end of the year. Like there's only so much more time in the year to like submit new projects to editors. So I've been like 
that final stretch of like edits for, for any client manuscript. So that's kind of been the priority like this week. So I haven't really been a slush in slush as much. Um, but typically, I mean, I answer all my queries myself. Like I don't have a direct assistant. Um, I read them all. Um, and I try to get back to people within a reasonable time. Um, so I'd say it's several hours every week. Um, I'm trying to like give you like a specific number, but it's hard. Some weeks I might spend like four, five, six hours reading queries. Some weeks I might only spend like an hour or two because that's the only amount of time I had. Um, and then balancing like the manuscripts you've already requested on top of new queries and client reading sometimes can be a lot. So, of course, if you're not reading the new queries, you might miss out on an incredible opportunity, but yeah. And I have FOMO that's real. <laughs> so, so, um, I try to stay on top of the queries and, and hope that authors will give me the benefit of the doubt. If it takes me a little bit longer to maybe get back on the, like the manuscript I've requested, because it's easier to like fly through a, a very good amount of queries because sometimes you can tell really quickly that like, there's probably something here, but it's just not, it's just not for me. Like I wouldn't know how to help this author. Whereas the full manuscripts that I've requested, like I requested them because I already felt that way. Like I already felt like there was something there or like I was excited about them in some way. And so for those ones, like I do, I don't want to be, I really want to be intentional and thoughtful and make sure that I'm giving them the time they deserve. And so I, I really like, like, even if, like, if I'm in a bad mood that day, for whatever reason, like I'll, I won't read like a manuscript because I, I know that my own temperament <laughs> in that moment <laughs> could impact my read. Right. And I, I just don't want to do that. I like have so much respect for authors and the amount of time that they put into developing a project that I want to make sure that when I go to read it, I'm in the right headspace to really give it a, like it, the time that it deserves. So what a wonderful sentiment. I hope every agent listening to us does likewise. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like <laughs> that's if the author has to wait an extra day, but you're not reading it when you're in a terrible mood, that that sounds like nothing but win. I, yeah. to, I uh, hope they see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I'm seeing it that way because I have no skin in the game right now. The author who's been waiting to hear back on the full is probably pacing back and forth while they listen to us. Like, I don't care about your mood. Get to it. Um, so <laughs> for a, a, a specific timeline, what is a reasonable amount of time with, within which you feel is, is, is reasonable to get back to an author? For queries or for fools? Uh, both. So for queries, I, I'm trying to remember what my quoted turnaround time in Query Manager is. I We've typically done like two or three months for root, like the agency. Like before I was on Query Manager, like the whole agency had like a standard kind of autoresponder that, that told authors like what our turnaround time was. And usually two or three months was kind of what we would hold ourselves to. Um, I'm a little bit quicker, I think, than some of my colleagues. And so I, I think I, I usually try to respond to people within like a month, month and a half at the query stage, sometimes because of like everything I just mentioned, like I have a couple conferences that month. I, maybe I signed a client, a new client that month. Maybe I'm sending out a lot of submissions that month. Like that might mean that month I get almost no reading done. Right. <laughs> like, the, so sometimes there are months like that where it's just, you know, 
the poor author who's waiting for me doesn't know that, but like, it, it's just, I'm like, I wish I could get to it. Cause I, it's so fun when you are going through queries and you find something that you're like, Oh, this feels like a live one. Like this feels like something I, you know, would really love to sign and work on. Um, so I try to keep it on the shorter end, um, especially because at our agency, we've recently, um, I think within the last like few months, actually, we, um, switched to a new submission policy where we ask that authors only queer one agent at a time. Um, and that's just because as we've grown there, we were worried that, you know, it, it could perhaps complicate things if you have a project out with like three or four of us at the same time. And then, you know, one of us is interested in pursuing, and then we kind of have to figure out internally, like, like, who, you know what I mean? Like who's the right match and all of that. So, we do share things internally a lot, um, but that's a new shift. And so I just don't want to like hold someone up. Like there's every chance that I might pass on a project that like, you know, Samantha might, it might be the perfect fit for her. And so I just, I want people to have the freedom to then go try one of my colleagues and, you know, not hold, hold them up more than I need to. Um, and then for full manuscripts who sometimes I'm super quick, um, but I also like try to go kind of in the order of arrival, like, which is, you know, and then there's like offers of representation show up and then you have to prioritize those because they have a two week deadline and you want to read it before the, you know, the two weeks. So that's a little bit more like all over the map, but, um, I do try to keep it within like, you know, anywhere from like two to like five months, you know, um, you know, right now I have a, a, a lot of queries or sorry, manuscripts I need to read before the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I try not to hold on to it too long and just honestly ask that, like, if you have updates, if, if you've gotten an offer, if, if someone's asked you to revise it and resubmit it, just, you know, just keep me in the loop. Um, I always respond to people. So if anyone's wondering like, oh, I haven't heard from her in like four months, like I did not forget about it. I still have it. It's on my list. <laughs> so I always respond to people. Um, it just might take longer sometimes and people are always welcome to check in. And usually I just tell them like, yeah, no, it's been a crazy few months. I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, I promise I'm still excited. <laughs> so, yeah. You say uh, a lot, but again, it's uh, October 27th as we're talking. So between now and the end of the year, how many manuscripts ballpark do you have on the docket? Yeah, I want to say I probably have like, like 15 manuscripts that I've already requested. Um, and I'm hoping to get back to the majority of those folks by the end of the year. I will say, because earlier I said I don't have a direct assistant, which is true, um, but Gabrielle, who's one of our agency assistants, does occasionally provide like reading support to me. So in this particular case, I've already like tagged her in <laughs> and been like, and been like, I need your help. <laughs> so um, that will help, you know, allow me to get back to all of those folks too. I do read them even when Gabrielle helps. I still also read, but sometimes it's just nice to have like, you know, that support, extra support, extra set of eyes on a manuscript, someone who might have a different, you know, perspective than you do. Um, and Gabrielle also comes to us from, she, she used to work at Gersh, which is like, you know, film and TV agency. So she's, um, really like good at, at spotting that kind of potential in projects and like the more conceptual stuff. Um, 
so yeah, she's a great reading a reader. Yeah. And presumably by the time you uh, request, I know you asked for 10 pages uh, in your query. Um, so you've already read those 10 pages more or less, uh, but the time you request the manuscript, you know the person can write. So mm -hmm. when you sit down and you're actually looking at the full, are you for sure going to read the whole thing? Do you read till you hit an absolute stopping spot? Like, oh my God, I had no idea that on page 20, this terrible thing was going to happen. Uh, or this political comment that makes me uncomfortable, now we're done. Um, what uh, what are you looking for? What uh, how, how often do you get all the way to the end of the manuscript when you request a full? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to say like, I am a, and this is true for like my personal life and my professional life. Like I am a big advocate of like not finishing a book that you were not enjoying. And I know some people are like, no, you have to read to the end. Like you like, I know a lot of people who will always read to the end of a book, even if they're not particularly enjoying the experience. I've just, in both my personal life, like if I pick up a book from the bookstore and I'm, you know, 50, a hundred pages in, and I'm just, I'm not having a good time. <laughs> you know, I will, I will put that book down because to be honest, I just think life's too short. And I also just think that's not a, that's not a, a metric or a, it's not like a judgment on the book's value because there are readers out there for that book. I'm just not one of them. Right. And so it's not like a judgment. It's just like, it's not for me. And so that's how I often kind of feel about reading fools too, is like, there's a lot of times where I'm like a hundred pages into things. And I'm like, this is really cool. Like there's a lot of interesting aspects to the world building. Like I could see my colleagues really digging this. And sometimes I do share it with them at that point, because I can tell it's like, for whatever reason, it's just like, I don't have, you know, one of the things that I often can, like, I'll know something is for me is when I'm reading it and I'm already like, have all these ideas. Like I'm starting to be like, what if this happened? And like, you know, the, the pacing feels a little off in this section, but what if we did this? Like when, when I'm already generating ideas for an author, who's not even my client, like that's a good sign. Um, and sometimes you read manuscripts and, and, you know, you just lack that vision. You lack that, those editorial thoughts. And while agents are not editors, um, in the landscape that we're currently working in manuscripts need even more development than they did three years ago when I started agenting. Um, and so like, if there's work to be done on a manuscript, I'm going to dig in with my author and I'm going to do that work. Because if I can see it, if the author can see it, the editor that we send it to is going to be like, hey, you thought you could not do this, huh? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, no, I want to put in the work. And then often, you know, as far as other ways that I often know, like, oh, is this a me book is when I'm like, you know, here's who's, who's here's who could really publish this book well you know, I'm already thinking about like the sub list and who I'm going to send it to. I'm already getting excited about how I can pitch the book. Um, so those are often indicators to me that like, this is, this is probably one of my people. Um, and then, yeah, like I, it's hard to give us like a stat on how often I read to the end. Um, I don't for every, for every project. Um, but the ones where I feel confident that like, you know, this author is talented, their, their confidence of their, their writing is there. The concept is strong, you know, that doesn't mean it doesn't need work, but it's, it's very solid. And there's a lot of potential there. I do like, I, 
I'm a big fan of matchmaking. I, I always share with my colleagues. I always, you know, allow them to see the manuscript so that, um, cause I know how hard it is. And I know that like when you're querying an agency, you might not know that you may have thought of me for that query, but you may not know that, you know, my colleague, Samantha has been looking for that book for, for, you know, just waiting for it to show up. Um, and that she would be so excited for, you know, for me to share that with her. Um, so I do try to do that matchmaking too, for the ones that I see that potential in, but know that I just, that I wouldn't be the best advocate for that author. Gotcha. So it's not as simple as, uh, oh, there's a typo, forget you. <laughs> no, I honestly, cause you know, people have asked me that too. I don't even pay attention. Like I, like if there's like grammatical errors, like, uh, like if it's egregious, yes. Okay. Like you should proofread, of course, <laughs> before you, before you submit it, like you should edit your book and proofread and make sure it's finished before you query. Um, but no, like I, my eyes at this point after reading, you know, queries, even before I was an agent, I read for Holly and Taylor and Molly. Um, so I, when you do it for that long, you, you know how to spot potential in something, even when it's maybe like underbaked, if that makes sense. Um, and I just think there's no point in worrying about like where the comma goes when the chances are that like, you know, that's why proofreaders exist. And um, while we work on the book and while you work on it with your editor, there's going to be lots of changes. And of course, that's going to introduce like typos and stuff like that. <laughs> you're, you're moving things around and and it's not going to be perfect at first. And that's why we have like those extra set of eyes, like the copy editor, the proofreader who are there to like, their job is to like, make sure that you look good. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So how actively are you building your list at this point? And how many clients are you taking on on average per year? Ooh. So I'm very much actively building my list. Um, yeah. And I probably will be, to be honest, for like the next few years, like quite actively. Um, and I find that like the metric as far as like how like X amount of clients, it's hard because I've, I've signed folks who then like, like one of my first clients, for instance, um, is she's been off running like a con congressional campaign in her state, like all year. So she was like, I'm going to hit pause. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be running a political campaign this year. Um, and no time for writing. And I was like, great, like, see you when you're ready to write again, <laughs> you know? Um, so sometimes like there's ebbs and flows and, um, you know, every, not every author is the same. I have some authors who take, you know, maybe two or three years to, to develop a story and write it like in between books. Right. And then you have some authors who are on a book a year schedule. They write really quickly. They, you know, um, so everyone's has a different process. So like, it's, I, that's why I feel like whenever I get asked, like, well, how many clients is like too many clients? That's so hard to say, like, you know, an agent could have like 60 clients and like 20 of those folks could be like not writing in any given year and could not, you know, even need them for, for years. So it's hard to like give that kind of number. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think like how many folks I've signed this year. Honestly, don't, I don't like keep track of it that way. I just, I know what I can handle. I know what my bandwidth is. I know, you know, I know wh where there's a hole in my list that I would like to fill. 
Um, so I just try to be really self-aware about how much I can handle and setting proper expectations for my clients and making sure that they feel supported and taken care of. And that to me is, is more of the, the priority than like a specific number. Um, I hope that's not just like a total cop out, like non-answer, but (laughs) I think people who are going to eventually be your clients would, would prefer to hear that answer. Like, yes, that's a great answer. And everyone who wants to be a client is going to be, is like, no, that's terrible. (laughs) Focus (laughs) on taking me on. (laughs) Um, Once, uh, once you, you're in love with the manuscript, you know, this is a project that you, you believe you could sell and you could do well with. Um, I've read elsewhere that you said, um, this is a, yeah, a quote from another interview you gave, that more than ever, today's authors are expected to be business owners and social media gurus and marketing and publicity experts. They're expected to do signings and attend events. Authors are brands. And if an author doesn't have these skills, then take it upon themselves to learn or hire someone else who does. So once you get past, I love the manuscript, how do you evaluate an author and how do you make sure that they're going to, if they're not already, that they're going to be this, this author brand. Yeah. So I know I said this, <laughs> in <an interview. laughs> but the, there's no nuance in actual like written interviews. Um, so the like extra layer that I would add to that is that like, not every author's goal is to like be a brand. And so like, yes, you are like, you have to brand yourself in some regards because it's, it's, the way business operate. It's the way that you, you know, develop a reputation and a rapport with like your audience. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to nest, like create that brand yourself. It doesn't mean you have to be posting on social media yourself. Like there are plenty of authors who have assistants and who have like, you know, outside publicists that don't work in house that, that freelance for them. And, um, you know, people who run their social media accounts. So like it takes a village and, as you grow and, you know, the years pass and you're, you're in this industry longer, like you can figure out kind of like what works for you. Like if you really love Twitter, then like God, you know, God be with you and (laughs) you can, and maybe it comes really naturally to you. Some people are just naturals at like Instagram and things like that. Right. They're just, it's just come so naturally to them and they, they really enjoy it. And so, you know, I, when I talk to potential clients or new clients about like, do I need a website? Like, yes, you, you should have a website, even if it's really simple. Um, that doesn't mean you need one right away. Um, but you should have like a landing page at least where like, you know, maybe a link to like a newsletter, if that feels good to you, where people can find you, people can find your social media accounts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be doing all of these things on your own. Um, And when I'm talking to potential clients, I'm honestly just looking more for like people who understand that what we do is at the intersection of like art and commerce. And while I like know how close an author can be to a book that they've been working on for years, just the fundamental, like it's expectation setting, like understanding that like when that book is sold, like it's now a product. It's not like the book that's, you know, that you, that you were working on in your like office or wherever anymore. It now it's a product and it's going to be packaged and it's going to be on shelves and it's going to be sold in stores and you are a business owner. And I guess like it's a, it's a lot like, cause you know what I mean? Like 
we're at that intersection of art and commerce and it's very emotional, but at the same time, it's a business and like Barnes and Noble does not care about my author's feelings as much as I would, <laughs> as much as I like wish that Barnes and Noble would, you know? So just like more understanding that and finding ways to grapple with that, whether it means like having a team that supports you, um, you know, just taking care of yourself and making sure that you find ways to kind of like deal with those challenges. Um, and I'm just looking for someone who's really, you know, level-headed and is like going into this, knowing that that's, that once the book is out there, like there are certain things that are going to be out of our control. So. Gotcha. And I know there's a, 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 a secret section of, of the Root Literary uh, website. And anytime I see a secret section, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like a kid at uh, Christmas who wants to know what's, what's in the gifts. <laughs> that's not, I, I say kid to this day, now in my 40s, if I see that there are wrapped gifts under a tree and I know they're not for me, I still want to know what's in there. <laughs> um, so with the, 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 the portion of the, the website that's just for clients that you have to sign in, are there resources there? Give us a little bit of a sneak peek. What, what kind of things can authors look forward to once they become uh, represented by the agency? What are they going to see? Are you talking about my website or the agency's website? Because I'm just curious. Your website had that also, and I assumed it was the same section. But if there's different sections now, I, there's two gifts that I want to see too. <laughs> so they are they are two different things actually um so on the agency's website i'm pretty sure what you're talking about is our client resource portal um which honestly i don't actually know if other agencies have this and we're probably crazy for doing it <laughs> but but um you know we often joke about like we want to have like the smartest and savviest you know clients in the business and we really want our, our people to feel like informed and educated and empowered. Um, and so prior to making that digital, we always had like a, a word document essentially that was like a, like a debut publishing roadmap. Like here's all the things that like we've sold your book. Yay. Like what now? <laughs> like, like, when do I get paid? Like, when do I get the contract? Like, what is a royalty statement? Like what, what does a film and TV option mean? Um, when can I expect to see my book cover? Uh, you know, what should I be doing while my editor's working on my edit letter? Like, are there things that I could be working on while they're doing that, right? Like all of these little things that we realized we were answering repeatedly, which is fine because a lot of our clients are debuts. So like, you don't know what you don't know, right? But we realized that we were like repeating ourselves so much that we were like, why don't we like put together like a document that just like outlines all of this? And it, and it doesn't mean that you can't ask questions, of course, but at least it's like a launching off point. Um, so we always had that. Like when I started, we had that. But a few years in, we were just realizing that there's so much information online, like blogs, articles, podcasts like this, um, about how to get an agent and how to write a book, but not about like what to do once you already have an agent or like what to do when you already have a book deal and you're like trying to figure out what comes next. Right. That was like, like there was just nothing really out there. Like I'm sure there is now because I think a lot of people use like Substack and all this other things that kind of like makes that a little bit more transparent, but it didn't exist. So 
we decided to um, kind of break that old Word doc apart and add a lot more articles and stuff. And it's essentially like a, you know, password protected, like client only resource portal that is almost like a, like a knowledge base or a blog about, you know, that has all of this stuff in there. Um, and we keep it updated pretty regularly. So if, if things change, we'll go back and update like an older article. Um, if, it feels like we should write something brand new to speak to a specific aspect of publishing. We, we incorporate new content in there. So we try to keep it like, you know, updated. And at this point it's pretty robust. Um, I think we've had that for a couple of years. So that's, I think what you're talking about on the agency website, um, on my, <laughs> my personal website, I have also a password protected page. That's just for my clients. Um, and I think I might have a link to the client resource portal there for them if they need it. But, but honestly, I love like technology and productivity tools. And I think that like you can use technology really smartly to, you know, to make like your job easier and more efficient. So I actually, I, I think it was earlier this year, maybe last year, I had realized that like half of the like emails in my inbox one day were just like clients asking to like book a call. And I was like, well, of course, like, yes, like, let me like, you know, and then you end up doing the like typical email thing where you're like, here are like four slots within the next like two or three weeks. Does any of this work? But then when you're doing that with like five different people, you know how complicated it gets where you're like, oh my gosh, like, did I, did I tell people the same date? Like, like, how do I like you're Tetrising your schedule? And I, I just kind of was like, there's gotta be an easier way to do this. Um, so I actually put up like a booking page on my website so that, and it's, you know, my clients are welcome to email me whenever they want to. It's not because they're not welcome to do that. It's more just because it's much easier when you can go on to your agent's booking page and just be like, oh, looks like she has a free time next Tuesday afternoon. Let me book that, you know, that spot. Um, I don't know if other agents would feel comfortable doing that. I, I trust my clients not to abuse that privilege. <laughs> so, and to, and, you know, I always ask them to like, send me an agenda, kind of a, a, what they want to discuss that day. But I just, I want my clients to, to know and to feel that I'm available. Um, and if it's easier for them to go in and book it themselves, like why not? <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what that is. <laughs> Gotcha. So some some kind of agenda we're going to be we're going to be achieving something with this meeting and not just talking about. Uh, did you see Wakanda Forever? How amazing was that? Or, or whatever. I don't want to hop on the call and be like, "So why have we gathered here today?" <laughs> so um, and it just helps me prepare and make sure that like the call is as productive as possible. Quite frankly, um, so so yeah, and like you know, when you were talking earlier about like, how many clients do you have? I think, I think using technology and systems like this, that just reduce the amount of emails you have to send the amount of back and forth that make it as easy as clicking a button. It's just, it makes everyone's lives easier. Um, and I'm already booking a bunch of meetings with editors too. And so like anything that you can just like, you know, get out of your inbox and, and make things better is why not? So can you get the editors to log in secretly? And <laughs> I do actually use, like, it's not the same thing as that where they can just like book anytime they want that's free. Um, but I do use a similar tool for editors where they can actually just go in and click an available time. I just, 
I just, I hate the like constant, like here are like six times between these three hours where I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to, to coordinate that way. So well, that's smart. Work, work smarter, not harder. That, that makes yeah. sense. Exactly. It works smarter, not harder. Yeah. Well, I did want to ask uh, a little bit about burnout and I'm watching our, our time and I know we're, we're coming up on the end. I've got just a, a couple more questions for you and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, that's our, yeah. you, you've been very generous with your time, but I, I, I must know, cause I, I, I keep reading about industry burnout and we've been talking about what, a, what an overachiever you are uh, with, with each job that you go into. And I know that you're approaching agenting with your whole heart, but I don't want you working 24 seven, all, you know, seven days a week, because then you're going to burn out and I'm going to look for you five years from now. And you're not going to be there. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, so how do you keep yourself uh, from burning out? How do you set boundaries with your clients to make sure that you're not hearing from them all day, Saturday and Sunday, or, or whenever your breaks are? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is like work smart, not harder, like what we just talked about, right? Like finding ways that like the things that like no one needs to be sending emails like five times back and forth to book a meeting when you can do it with a click of the button. Like part of it is just finding smarter ways to do the job like that. But of course, you know, that's only one little component of the job. Um, I guess just to get like a little bit more personal for a sec, like last year was actually a really hard year for me. Um, my sister passed away from COVID and I was like moving to a new place and I was like, like wrapping up like a divorce and all of this. So like speaking of burnout, like sometimes you don't know like what any human is grappling with in their personal life. Right. And so that also contributes to burnout. And I think the reason I wanted to get a little bit more personal is because I think this industry is really personal. And I think like people are working nights, weekends in their free personal time because they love books and they love, you know, what they do. But I think just like what I was dealing with last year, a lot of people lost people over the last few years of COVID. And even if they didn't lose people, like people were sick, right? Like there's a lot of fear, like a lot of people weren't in the office. And so for me, like, while all of that was really hard, it almost like forced me to to grapple with my own like tendency to just go real hard and be like, you know, just like, go, 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 like 110%, like eat the world now, not yesterday, you know, <laughs> like, or not tomorrow, whatever. Um, and so like, in a weird way, like going through all of that really did force me. Like I didn't, I actually didn't sign many people last year because of that. I had a really, really busy, active first, like two year and a half of agenting and then COVID hit. Um, and in 2020, I was actually still signing a lot. I was selling a lot. Um, but I, the burnout hadn't hit yet. Right. And then in 2021, that's when it hit, that's when all that personal stuff was going on. So I think like when I look for potential clients, I also just look for people that like are just treating me like a human if that, like, I know that sounds so like sad that like, I even need to say that, but I just feel like a lot of people in this industry treat other people in this industry. Like we are just like publishing automatons. Like we are just like robots who like, just like productivity robots. And I want to work with people and all of my clients were so great. Like it was, it was, it like makes me want to cry. Like thinking about like how supportive my clients were when I was going through all of that. Like they sent me like gift cards to like get Postmates and like buy myself food. So I didn't have to worry about feeding myself. Like they 
like they were so supportive. They were like, do not like, if you read our manuscripts right now, we will like, <laughs> we will be so bad at you. you know? So like, they were just so supportive. And I want to work with people like that, that understand like the human component of this job and that none of us can do our best work when we are dealing with things like that in our personal lives, right? Like no one's going to do and show up and be their best self when you're dealing with all of that. So I think, yeah, to answer your question, like burnout, I feel like burnout sometimes happens when you're working in an environment, you're working for a company, you're working for a boss, you're working for colleagues, you're working for clients who don't give you that grace and who don't you know what I mean? Like who don't, who aren't transparent about like, yeah, it's hard. Like this industry is hard. And like, if that means you don't sign someone for the next, you know, six months, if you need to go slower this year, because that's what you need to do to keep your head above water and do right by your existing clients. You know what I mean? Um, then that's, that's like the way it is. Um, and so I really like, I guess like, yeah, last year I really became less focused on the external optics or like, like, oh, I haven't announced a deal for a while, <laughs> you know, like, and like, who cares? Like, you know, no one, no one knows what you're doing behind the scenes. And like, that's, that's not important. Like having a, a, a certain amount of deals that you announce every year, like there are deals, you know, there are books that I sold like two years ago that still haven't been announced, like, you know, and just, and kind of like letting go of, the optics and the expectations and just trusting that like, if someone has a problem with you needing to take care of yourself and make time for yourself, that's probably not someone you want to be working with, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of how I've tried to like, and I think that's a little easier on the agency side because a lot of agents are like independent contractors or they can kind of just pick up and take their business to a new agency for the most part, like if they really wanted to. Whereas you know, when you're coming up in a, in a published, like a publishing house, it's a little different, right? It's, um, you can't like kind of take everything with you the same way. So they're a little bit more locked into a, a system that can sometimes feel like a machine. Um, so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. I'm um, very sorry to hear about your, your loss. Um, hopefully that's a very specific set of circumstances not to be repeated. Yeah, no, I think that was just, you know, it's pandemic, like not, none of us could have expected this um, and not being able to leave your home and just all the fear and anxiety and, and tension that we're all, we were all grappling with. I mean, some of, you know, we're still grappling with to some extent, like, I just wanted to get like real for a moment because, because yeah, I think that's like when, you know, we've been seeing a lot of these like burnout articles and stuff. And I feel like, all of this has already existed in this industry and it has for quite some time. I don't think that COVID or the pandemic fundamentally made it worse. I think it just like, or made it different, I should say. It just kind of like made it so you couldn't hide it anymore. Like, no, like you, like it was just everybody, like we couldn't like fake it anymore. <laughs> like you, you know what I mean? Like you just like, I almost think it just, um, brought everything to the surface in a way that became really obvious to everybody that like, oh, like this isn't sustainable. And it's like, yeah, it hasn't been sustainable for quite some time. That's why there's a lot of turnover. That's why there's a lack of diversity at entry-level positions. Um, 
because it hasn't been sustainable and it hasn't been achievable for a lot of people for quite some time. And COVID didn't change that. It just, again, made it really obvious. So. Well, that segues nicely to <laughs> <laughs> talking a, a bit about diversity. I always uh, want to make it my business to ask. And I think that anybody who takes a look at your client list will know the answer to this. But I always want to ask, what are you doing to increase diversity in publishing and what is Root Literary doing? Yeah, I think um, grappling with the uncomfortable, like um, a lot of people don't want to like look at their list and think about like, why do all of my authors look a certain way or why are they all from a certain background and, and don't want to maybe analyze how their list has come to look that way. You know what I mean? And like, I think so when I say like sitting with the uncomfortable, I think it's like you can feel like you are very supportive of diversity, but if your list doesn't reflect that, if your age, your um, your uh, sorry, your like your choices don't reflect that, if your actions don't reflect that, then like maybe it's all just kind of words, you know what I mean? And just like a vibe and like, you're not actually like doing the work to get there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do pay a lot of attention to it. Um, my lit, my list though, you know, I love to say like, I do think my list is pretty diverse. I don't, I don't actually feel like like, I didn't do that on purpose, if that makes sense. Like, I just, that's just the way it worked out. Like, I just, I, I love every one of these stories. I, it just happened to be like, that's what I found early on. And I'm really proud of my list and the, you know, the diversity of it. And I really love just personally, like, I really love untold stories. I love non-Western stories. And so I think it's more reflective of my, like, personal, what I'm drawn to just as a person versus like, any like strategy <laughs> to like, like there was no strategy <laughs> to like, it's just, it just happens to be like, that was what I was drawn to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just like sitting with the things that make us uncomfortable, to be honest, um, is, is one of the things that can, you know, I think it's something that we need to do to, to really be focusing on diversity in this industry. And that includes like, you know, from an employee, like, like setting the clients aside for a moment. Um, I think that includes like, you know, like the actual labor force that is running this industry. Right. And, and paying attention to like, why are there, why is there a lack of diversity for like mid-level folks in this industry? Um, it means we can't retain good employees, right? It means that there's a reason why people only stay for a few years. And so you're seeing like that diversity at the entry level. And then after a few years, they're no longer in the industry. So that's, that's, that's a retention issue. Right. Um, and I've had to have like, you know, my boss, Holly Root, she's great. And I've had, but I've had to have like really frank conversations with her about these things when we're, when we're hiring about things, you know, um, like I was the first assistant. So I've, I've had to like have, you know, really frank conversations about like meaningful compensation for like entry-level employees, just to make sure that like, she's aware of, um, you know, what our employees need to feel like 
they're, you know, have a living wage, like they can do their best, you know, their best job and show up every day and do their best work. Um, and it's not that she's ever been problematic at all. That's not what I'm saying, but I think just being able to talk to your boss like that. Right. And just be able to like, have those conversations at all is super important and super rare. And so I feel super lucky that I have a boss like that, that I can be like, like, here's the reality, right? <laughs> here's like, here's, here's what we need to like, make this job sustainable for, for our assistance so that we can retain them and treat them right. So I think that speaks well of Holly and I'm obvious I'm biased because I love book people. Um, but I think that speaks well that you can go to her and have that conversation. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Like I, yeah, I love her. <laughs> yes. We've had very real conversations and, you know, I think like she may have mentioned this, you know, her episode for folks that give it a watch, but like, she's also super transparent. Like she's also opened up to me and said, like, this is how it was for me when I was coming up as an agent, like, and not in a, like, like, oh, that's just how it is. Like puppy, you know, <laughs> like, like not in like that kind of way. Cause that's the problem is a lot of people just diminish the struggles of entry-level employees. Cause they're like, well, we all had to do it. And it's like, we should want things to be better. We should want this industry to be better. And just because it was a struggle for you and just because you got through it, that doesn't, that's not, that doesn't mean that that's how that's the system that you should set up. And you should just be like, well, that's just, you know, tough, you know? Um, so we have really real conversations about like the art of list building, um, you know, how to make money, how to do this job and have it be sustainable. Um, and not just for new agents, but for, you know, our entry-level employees too, who, who aren't agenting and who need to feel supported and like, you know, like they're not, um, Like they're not just scraping by. Like I don't want someone to feel that way because when you are just scraping by and then you go to your day job, it's really hard to be your best self um, when you're really stressed out about like, how am I going to make rent that month? You know? You're exhausted because you were working your second, third jobs to yes. dream job work. Yeah, exactly. And that, that I don't want to perpetuate that type of um, system. And I think if you are going to employ someone, you need to, you know what I mean? Like make it worth their time and, you know, help them get by and they, you shouldn't have to have like five jobs. Um, so, so yeah, it's really important to me. And I think just like, it's uncomfortable to have these conversations sometimes, especially with your boss, no less. Right. <laughs> but like, I think we need to have the conversation because it's the only way things get better. So well, from uh, your lips to everyone's ears, I hope uh, all the publishing is listening and say, oh, is that is that working out for them? Well, we should be doing that also. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Barnes & Noble before. Speaking of tough and, and frank conversations, uh, <laughs> there have been some just downer news in publishing, especially for the middle grade crowd between editors very publicly leaving and saying, hey, I'm burned out. I didn't have family money, so I was working five jobs uh, to try and stay here and now I'm out. 
uh, between that and between Barnes and Noble saying they're only going to take what 2% of middle grade hardbacks. And I assume that this will not age poorly and it will just be middle grade and not, and not other um, uh, categories or genres uh, going forward. But with those types of changes, how do you stay positive? How do you keep your clients positive? And more than just being positive, how are you preparing to make sure that you're still going to be successful despite these uh, headwinds? Yeah. You know, I think one thing as far as the Barnes and Noble and like how I stay positive, I think it's kind of one of those, like going back to what I said earlier about like art meets commerce. So like when I heard that news, part of me was like, well, like I, like I'm emotionally, I understand why this is like a tough pill to swallow, but the business part of my brain was like, well, they're a business. You know what I mean? They're, they're just focused on their bottom line and how to sell the most books possible and how to make the best use of their like physical retail space. Um, and so if, you know, books are sitting on a shelf and they're not being sold, like that's, that's not a good business decision. Right. And so, um, part of how I stay positive though, and kind of like put a spin on that, that makes it, you know, to reframe it, I guess, not put a spin <laughs> to reframe it to myself and my clients is that like, if your books were sitting on that shelf in a Barnes and Noble and they weren't selling your books, like that's not where your readers are. You know what I mean? And so when Barnes and Noble says like, we're not carrying like a certain amount of books, it doesn't mean that your books won't be in any Barnes and Noble across the country. It just means they're really going to focus on stocking those books in the communities where they really feel that there's potential. Right. Um, and so that to me is not a negative. That's like a strategic decision. Like we want our books to be in those communities. We want our books to be in places where they're going to find their readers. And if, you know, readers in whatever city just don't read a lot of middle grade fantasy, you know, or whatever it may be, then again, the books sitting there while it might be nice to walk into the store and see them there. If we're not pushing, you know, if we're not pushing any books and we're not selling them, then do they need to be there? <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, there's kind of that part of things. Um, but then also like, I think with everything being super online now, I think a lot of folks are investing more in their communities and indie bookstores. So that doesn't mean that your books won't be, you know, able to be purchased elsewhere. Um, and then the other thing I'll say for like middle grade in particular is that like the middle grade business model is so, um, it's more driven by like school and library markets. Um, and that doesn't mean that like there aren't books that of course take off elsewhere, but like so much of it is more like long lead. Like you can have, you can have books like middle grade books that don't become bestsellers until they've been out for several years. Cause they just kind of pick up steam, right. You might have books that like win a lot of awards, like a year after they've been published. And so like, there's less, um, pressure or like need from both, like from the publisher for the book to be like, you know, week one, day one, like automatic bestseller, like people who work with middle grade books know that it's, it's just a different business model. It, we, um, you know, really look for that school and library market um, to make a big push. And so it's a little bit less concerning to me if, you know, the books aren't being stocked in every Barnes and Noble across the country, um, because maybe that's not where we were going to find our readers anyways. Um, so I guess just reframing it a little bit and, and not seeing it as a negative necessarily, um, 
and seeing it more as like a strategic business decision and having faith that your book will find its readers. Um, and that just knowing that there are plenty of other, you know, places for them to purchase that book, um, besides Barnes and Noble. So. No, I want to be sad about it and use it as the reason I'm not writing today. <laughs> I know. And you know, it's a very positive outlook. Well, and the other thing too, is like, I think having a boss like Holly, who's, you know, been in the industry for quite some time, it's like, you know, she was around when like borders was a thing. And so I guess like, when, when you kind of have seen the ebbs and flows, you're less like your immediate reaction is less to be like scared or like fear because it's like, well, you know, like everyone thought the end of publishing was happening when borders closed. Right. And like, we're still here and like, will you find like new outlets to sell books? Um, so there's always going to be those ebbs and flows. And, you know, I think, um, the onus is kind of on the publisher to find a lot of different, um, you know, potential places to market the book and different strategies to, to get it into the hands of retailers. Um, and that's not something that an author can control anyways. Right. So, um, just kind of focusing on the things that are within our control, um, and just having the awareness of what's going on, but, but trying to, you know, not let it be like the end all be all. Melanie, have you ever seen a ghost and or a flying saucer? Um, I have not seen a ghost or a flying saucer. I feel like I'd be more interested in seeing a flying saucer because ghosts freak me out. Um, <laughs> although, um, I know prior to recording, I mentioned that my family lives in Tennessee. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, um, my grandma swears that she's seen ghosts there because there's a lot of, you know, that that whole area was definitely like the grounds where a lot of wars happened earlier in our our country's history and so there's a lot of um you know soldiers and stuff like that so she swears that she has seen them i do not know if i believe her <laughs> um but yeah it all kind of freaks me out <laughs> i tell you i was more inclined to dismiss ghost stories before i started this podcast and started asking the smartest people i've ever met have you seen a ghost and i kept hearing time and time again oh yeah really great book people the world's best people have consistently seen ghosts and they're why would they lie i mean there's some of them are professional liars granted but still <laughs> i've always like when i was like a little girl i feel like i would like go you know to these like old creepy homes with like my grandma or whatever and i i would always like stand in a room and like you know, when you're like little and you're like, try to like make magic happen. And you're like, I'm here. Like, I'm safe. You can talk to me, like reach out. <laughs> like, like I just wanted a ghost to appear to me. And I'm like, you can, you can show yourself. <laughs> like I would try to do that. Never worked. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how I would handle it, but I actually saw a ghost in real life, to be honest, but yeah. So no, sorry. I'm not interesting. <laughs> Bumped in it just enough, a little bit of creepy, nothing, nothing concrete, nothing like I had the evidence, but just a little bit of creepy here and there that I've stopped looking like, okay, I will definitely find it if I spend all my time looking for it. So let's just write stories about it and let other folks go and look. <laughs> it freaks me out. So. <laughs> Melanie, you have been so generous with your time. I know, I know we're a little bit over uh, and it has been a, a privilege and a pleasure. Uh, I've learned a lot about uh, agenting and I think the esteemed audience has as well. 
Uh, my final question for you for tonight, uh, although you're going to be agenting forever, so hopefully uh, eventually we'll do this again. Uh, Holly for- will wheel me out on a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we have many, many years until that happens. So yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and well, God knows what sort of uh, 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 interesting changes we'll see to the industry between now and then. Uh, but for tonight, my, uh, my final question for you is if uh, there was one or two bits of advice that you would want to impart to every author who's watching or listening to us right now that they would take to heart and might make a, a significant difference in their career and their odds of landing a great agent like you or uh, an agency like the Root Literary, what would, you, what would you tell them? This is such a hard question. Um... I feel like lately I've been thinking a lot about like, like what, where to put our focus and like, um, I guess I would say timing is so out of our control. Like I wish that I had landed a job at an agency like years before I did. I wish I would have started agenting like years before I did. Um, and you just never know when like the stars are going to align. Um, and when that opportunity is going to be presented to yourself. And so I try to like be kind and focus less like kind to yourself and focus less on like, you know, the timing of it all. Um, I hear so often from authors who have been like querying for years. Um, you know, I, I signed someone, I think last year who had been querying for like eight years before I signed him, um, And, you know, I've known through, you know, just from experience and from anecdotes from colleagues and stuff, I've heard of, you know, so many authors who, you know, agents signed them for a book that they loved so much. And it just, for whatever reason, like timing, market, whatever, it didn't sell. Right. And it's always like, you know, it hurts your heart a little bit to have to like, you know, shelve that project and start on the new one. Um, but I always feel like just moving forward and like starting that next project, like looking for that next opportunity so often, like is the right answer, um, and not dwelling on like how much you love that book that like no one signed you for, or how much you love that book that someone didn't buy. And then just kind of like holding on to it and being unwilling to like, let it go. Because I think so often when I've heard those stories, when you let it go and you kind of allow yourself to move on and to work on that next thing that you're really excited about, that often is what unlocks, like, you know, gets you that agent, gets you that book deal. Um, And so I guess that like to sum that up, it's more like focus on the stuff that is within your control and try not to beat yourself up about like, I've been querying for X years and it hasn't happened yet. Or I've been, you know, my agent has submitted like, you know, this book for me and it didn't sell yet because like, I really believe that like the stars will align and like all the work that you've put in will lead to something like what it will lead to. I can't say of course, but like, you know, I mean, speaking as someone who spent like 10 years, like you know, working random jobs that had nothing to do with publishing, like, you know, getting my English degree in undergrad, like going to graduate school, learning like how this industry works, like, you know, working in editorial, being a freelance editor and having to like do all of that before I arrived at this place that feels now that I'm here, like where I was always like meant to be, like I couldn't have made it happen any faster than it did. You know what I mean? And I think 
to some extent, all of those skills that I developed at all those other places are like what helped me do a good job now. So I try to like, look at it more like that and, and, you know, remind myself that like the journey is like part of the process. You know what I mean? Um, and then the other thing I would say, oh, well, and for authors, I mean, obviously that involves like focusing on your craft, like things like that, because, you know, you can't, you can't like control when an agent's going to sign you or when you're going to sell that book, but you can get better with every book that you write. Right. And like put that work in, um, to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward and getting, you know, giving yourself your best shot. And then the other thing I'll say, that's kind of like, um, a, a part two <laughs> to that question is like finding your people. Um, because I feel like this job is so hard, whether you're an agent, whether you're an author, whether you're an editor. And I think like finding your support system is something that it's really important, you know, finding those writer friends that you can share the highs and the lows with, um, you know, honestly, even something like not professional related, but like taking care of your mental health, right? Like, you know, like maybe going to see a therapist and making sure that you're like really taking care of yourself and that like emotionally you're in a good place because all of these things are going to make like dealing with the rest of it so much easier, um, to like have that support system. And I think that's why I love being at Root Literary, to be honest, is because like, I do feel like I have that support system. I mean, Holly's obviously like a fantastic boss and has been mentoring me. I would say I work Clo the closest with Taylor Haggerty actually. And she's, she's definitely like a person that I would consider to be my mentor. Um, and I just think this job would be like a whole lot less fun and more challenging and like harder on the heart, like without Taylor, we talk all the time, like every day, like, you know, we, when we worked in the office, we used to work like five feet away from each other. And like, for me, like, that's my support system and like having these people that like know me and believe in me, like outside of like the external optics and like metrics of success. You know what I mean? Like Taylor, like Taylor believes in me, whether I get that client I wanted to get or not, whether I sell that book I wanted to sell or not. Right. And just like having that support system. So I guess like you know, focus on the things that are within your control and like find your support system. It would be my, my two things. Cause I just think both of those things and like those mindsets just make like everything else so much easier. So. I think that's the perfect note to end on. Belly, this was fantastic. Thanks uh, again for being here. Where can uh, folks find you on uh, online, on social media and all that good stuff? So the agency is at rootliterary.com and at rootliterary is the handle for Twitter and Instagram. For, for my personal accounts, I my um, Twitter and Instagram is well Mel's Bells, <laughs> so, um, which is just kind of a long running joke um, that maybe only I think is funny. Um, <laughs> so, and then my website is melaniefigueroa.com. And I try to keep my um, wish list and stuff pretty updated there too, so. Uh, as always, esteemed audience for interviews, almost as good as this one, uh, as well as um, details about all of my books, head to middlegradeninja.com. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.